as a rotten apple, Jim. And we have to find it. What did you make of it, Jim? Control theory. I thought it was madness. I know that it is one of five men. All I want from you is one code name. Alaline. Tinker. Aiden. Kayla. Land. Soldier. Oh, we drop Sailor, it's too close to Taylor, and Rich Man doesn't seem to be applicable. Esther House. Poor man. And the fifth? Smiley. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 332, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. And this is listener request number 44, courtesy of Brian. This is a very special listener request because it's the only one that involved the listener who requested it buying us dinner, which I would recommend for other listeners. (laughs) That's true, yeah. (laughs) We had a special a nice night discussion about this. Yeah, my Ooh. first time ever at an Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Sampling a Bloomin' Onion. Yeah, well, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy could not really think of a more complicated, mm-hmm. dry, yeah. British type film to pick. Luckily, I get it now. I did see it. I know you guys saw it in the theater. I did not, but I did watch it, not even streaming. I feel like I watched it on demand. In, oh, wow. in like 2011 or something, but hadn't watched it since then. Tried to watch it once before our dinner, got some more info from Bell, and then the second time through, I was like, okay, I get it all now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. It's a little complicated, I guess. It's not even really that complicated. It's just more subtle. I think there's more to it with more viewings. You get and a they little don't more out of it. Tell you everything. Right. It's more behind the scenes. I definitely think that this is a film that benefits a lot from being familiar with the source material. I think that they do a pretty good job of condensing what is a pretty rich text down into a two hour film. But for full impact, mm-hmm. as far as the twists and the turns and the reveals and everything else. I feel like you need to have some familiarity for that to really hit you the right way. Yeah. Well, the second time I watched it, the Jim Bill Hayden stuff was 
hitting me in a way I like it was completely past me the first time. But I also wonder if that's just because Brian told me about that stuff. And I, if I would have picked up on it the second time, I'm not sure. We're, of course, talking about the 2011 adaptation, not the 1970s version starring Alec Guinness. Oh, yes. But before we dive into Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. I guess it's called X now. We are still there. We're still huh. called at GreatestPod. You can tweet at us, slide into the DMs, whatever you want to do. But the best way to reach us these days is probably via email, greatestpod at gmail.com, greatestpod at gmail.com. Yeah, if that wasn't clear, that is our preferred method of communication at this point. Yeah, it's easier. Mm -hmm. Plus, we can express ourselves fully (laughs) and privately (laughs) in email form. If you have a listener request or you'd like a sticker, you can hit us up on Twitter slash X or via email. We'd also like to read your emails on the show. Totally. And if you have a listener request like Brian, $50 will get you an episode for a film that runs up to two hours and 30 minutes. If you'd like a little bit longer of a subject matter, $75 will get you a film up to three hours. You can reach out on Twitter, and we'll work that out with you. If it's over three hours, we're pretty flexible on it, but please just reach out. We'll figure out the pricing and all that stuff. We take payments via Cash App, although we have other methods available if Cash App doesn't work for you. So just reach out. We have a couple more slots left in 2023. However, if you reach out to us before the end of the calendar year, you'll get those prices, even if we don't have time to do them until next year. Finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. Coming up next, we will do two more listener requests in a row. A little bit behind with Kevin's, but oh, already yeah. spoken with him. And he's, We're good. Of course, more than cool. And then we'll get to Carla's as well, which is a weird coincidence because Carla is the name of the unseen yeah, villain? villain of this film, really, which is... Nothing more than a coincidence, I guess, but I thought it was weird. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks to our listeners for the constant support. It's a long, involved process taking all these listener requests, but we will get through them all. It's been overwhelming, really. Yeah, well, I don't think we ever would have expected to get this many listener requests this really year. <laughs> hanging over our heads now. Well, we're doing three in a row, starting with this one, banging them out. Next yep. year, the prices are inevitably going to go up, so... <laughs> If you've got one in mind and you'd like us to get to it, don't hesitate. Don't wait till next year. If you've already done one and want to do another one, please feel free. There's no limit on how many you can do. Just putting that out there. No pressure, of course. Sure. If you've already done one, believe me, you've done more than enough. We're not asking for more. But if you wanted to, you could. (laughs) We're not saying there's a limit. Just putting that out there. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was released in 2011. Directed by Tomas Alfredson, his first English language film. Screenplay by Bridget O'Connor and Peter Strahan. The film is dedicated to O'Connor, who passed away in September of 2010 from cancer. Mm. Based on the novel of the same name by John Le Carre. I'm going with that pronunciation. Yeah, Even though Brian specifically told me what it was, I couldn't quite remember. I think it's Carre. Yeah, and when you asked me if that was right, I was like, who is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's a pen name, either way. It's not his real given name, so I don't feel that bad about it. 
should be pointed out that we both watched the Kino Lorber 4K edition of this movie, which we both own and probably <laughs> never planned to watch if it wasn't for Brian <laughs> requesting it. I don't know if that needed to be pointed out, but you felt like it needed to, so go ahead. Okay. The budget was $21 million, the box office $81.2 million. It was a pretty reasonable hit, especially in the crazy. UK. Yeah, well, I guess that makes sense. But I do remember the buzz around this when it was coming out that it had every great English actor in it. Well, Lucari's material had its own pedigree even beyond the Smiley books, which yeah, is, yeah. this is the first. A lot of the characters overlap into these other ones as well, but he had already had the spy who came in from the cold, the tailor of Panama, the constant gardener. A lot of stuff was already adapted over time. So there definitely was a little bit of a market for it. Plus, there's some people who... You know, they like James Bond, but maybe want a little bit less action, yeah. a little less excitement. It's like <laughs> calm the, it down a little bit. The chess version of James Bond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For those of you who have not seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, you can find it currently on Stars Sling, mm. if you have that. And of course, a streaming rental as well. And as Matt mentioned, you can get the 4K disc from Kino Lorber. Which I thought looked really good. The title of this film and the novel is taken from an English children's rhyme that reads, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief. The film received three Oscar nominations, Best Adapted Screenplay, which lost to The Descendants, Hmm. Best Original Score, which lost to The Artist, and Best Actor for Gary Oldman, who lost to Jean Dujardin from The Artist. Yeah. This was the year of The Artist, Moneyball, The Descendants, The Help, Bridesmaids, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Tree of Life, War Horse, hmm. Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, and Drive. Kind of a weird year. Definitely. I made it a point to see 100 films in the theater that year, yeah. and this was one of them. It was kind of a not great year for me to decide to do that. <laughs> I think there were some better film years than 2011, especially as far as the Oscar movies went. Some of those that I just listed out yeah, I know, didn't age particularly Extremely great and weren't loud great then. and incredibly close. I remember there being some talk about that being a Best Picture winner. It's almost like as soon as that time period came and went no one ever talked about that movie again it didn't even really get great reviews yeah it was one of those movies that had a pedigree aren't the adults in that movie like julia roberts and tom hanks or something crazy like I that? Do, yeah i i believe tom hanks is in it I, that seems right i never saw it i barely remember the trailers for it it was based on a popular book it came out at the right time but yeah mm-hmm. i don't think a lot of people even saw it and it it's one of those ones that's like a weird footnote that it was nominated for anything so is the door open for you to do 100 movies in the theater again in a year yeah okay it's always open all right what else am i doing (laughs) you're reinvigorated (laughs) not much (laughs) well as long as we're doing this podcast probably not yeah this podcast eats up way too much time well i remember when you were doing it too there was weekends where you saw movies friday saturday and sunday (laughs) sometimes multiples yeah on friday The project was initiated by Peter Morgan when he wrote a draft of the screenplay, which he offered to working title films to produce. Morgan dropped out as the writer for personal reasons, but still served as an executive producer. Following Morgan's departure as writer, working title hired 
Peter Strahan and Bridget O'Connor to redraft the script. Park Chan-wook considered directing the film, but ultimately turned it down. Thomas Alfredson was confirmed to direct on July 9th, 2009. It's a slow burn world of paranoia and espionage, slightly scaled back and condensed, as James Parker, writing for The Atlantic, put it, to strip down or minimize Le Carre, however, is to sacrifice the almost Tolkien-esque grain and depth of his created world, the decades-long backstory, the lingo, the arcana, the liturgical repetitions of names and functions. So there were some people who were mega fans who resisted this adaptation a little bit, but for the most part, I think people accepted that in order to adapt a novel like this into a two-hour film, you were going to have to severely condense it down. It does sort of feel like the material is better suited for a series, but it works for the movie. I I think they find a way to make it work. You just lose that depth. It's a more welcoming entry point for novices, though, like us. true. It's still plenty complex and twisty all the same. You're just sort of missing a little bit of that oomph when there are reveals or shifts yeah. or twists because you care less about the people because you don't have all of that information to go on. They're just names and faces. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a novel, you've built up a whole story around each character. And so when something is revealed or twisted or changed, it means way more. And that is inevitable. You can't really do anything about something like that for a two-hour movie. Right. It's just impossible. And so part of it is you do cast recognizable faces in some of the key roles. And yeah, you could argue that that tips your hand a little bit. The old Stellan Skarsgård and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, for example, the same year. You cast a recognizable face, people are going to probably latch onto that character a little bit more and think something's up. Yeah. And you're coming off of the King's Speech from the prior year. So I think a lot of people's eyes are going to focus on Colin Firth. And then when there's a big reveal, I don't know that tons of people are going to be super surprised about that. But it's done in a way that I still felt like it could have been any of these suspicious dudes. Well, that's true. But I think part of what I'm saying is that when you don't have the backstory, it doesn't matter. That's true. It less so. Yeah. So that's it why doesn't pack as much casting punch. the familiar faces right. is sort of a meta move, even though it tips your hand a little bit. Mm-hmm. In other words, if the actor who's playing Esterhaus is revealed to be the mole, right? But he's the least recognizable of the suspects as far as an actor. Yes. Then the audience is really going to shrug their shoulders I know. for the people who have no familiarity with the True. story at all. It's sort of cheating a little bit, but you got to do it because you're relying on the audience to have a connection with Colin Firth to make up for the fact that there's less of a backstory than you probably would like right. in this situation. The material may work best as a more fleshed out, much longer endeavor, like Matt pointed out, a multi-hour miniseries, such as the one made in the 70s. But as far as films go, this is about as dense as you can get it. Expanding it any more beyond the two hours and seven minutes it runs probably jeopardizes your return on investment. I don't know that you're really going to get more out of making this particular film longer. Probably not. In a weird way, it's kind of interesting timing for us because I think that Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy 
ends up working as an interesting companion piece with Oppenheimer. Yeah, that's true. Even though they're not really aesthetically similar and the story is obviously completely different. But in terms of the timeline, you're kind of left with a world slowly, inevitably drifting into a Cold War at the end of Oppenheimer. And then this is a movie taking place during further down the road once it's up and running and how that looks from a completely different perspective for sure obviously a different country and everything but i think as far as history goes it's an interesting thing to jump back yeah there is some weird meta stuff in this movie though gary oldman there's a part where he's either talking about or being talked to about winston churchill yeah and then goes on to play that role several years down the line and didn't he win best actor for that yes yeah At the height of the Cold War, a precarious operation goes deadly wrong, and the head of British intelligence wonders if a double agent is leaking vital secrets. Brought out of retirement to expose the potential mole, master spy George Smiley, played by Gary Oldman in this Oscar-nominated performance, is the only one who can be trusted to expose one of their own, or can he? As the emotional and physical tolls mount on the high-ranking suspects, Smiley will be forced into the ultimate international spy game where everyone's motives are in question. Director Tomas Alfredson, who directed Let the Right One In. Oh, yeah. And cinematographer Hoyt Van Hoytema, who shot Dunkirk, craft a visually stunning and deeply resonant tale that's packed with powerful performances by Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, John Hurt, Toby Jones, Mark Strong, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Siren Hines. Quite a British cast. Definitely. I wanted to read the back of the 4K as a nice way of summing it up for anyone who's not super familiar with what the overall story is. The film itself opens in 1973. Control, who is a person, Mm -hmm. played by John Hurt, is the head of British intelligence, a.k.a. the circus. So there's some terminology you have to get used to. Control is a person. I like to think of it as a code name, even though they don't really say it's a code name. I just assumed that it was. Yeah, it operates the way same way. I think in the novel it's supposed to be that no one really knows his true identity. His wife thinks he's just a simple civil servant. A lot of this is a secret. Right. No one really knows. It's for his own protection. So they refer to him as Control. And then the circus is sort of their slang term for yeah. where they work. It's the British intelligence, like the same uh, thing as MI6 and all this other stuff. Yeah, a lot of their nicknames for stuff are a bit cheeky. Control sends Jim Prido, played by Mark Strong, to Budapest to meet a Hungarian general who has the name of a mole at the top of British intelligence. Control is a fictional character created by John Le Carre. Control is an intelligence officer who acts as the head of the British Overseas Intelligence Agency, as I said, nicknamed The Circus. He is a character in the novels The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, The Looking Glass War, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and is referred to in several others, usually by association with Le Carre's recurring protagonist, George Smiley, who has served as Control's right-hand man. Control is a nom de guerre, which I'm not really sure what that means. Same. Other than name de something in a different language. The character's real name is never given, and it is suggested that he has successfully kept his true identity secret, even from his inner circle of advisors. It seems like it would be tough. 
His wife believes him to be a minor civil servant in the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries. At one point, Hurt was considered for the lead role of George Smiley. I know that casting Smiley was a huge impediment in the production. Oh, really? And I, Gary Oldman would have been like first on the list. Well, I guess they didn't think of him at first because huh. they almost decided to not do the movie. Because they couldn't fill this role? Yeah, and then they finally came to Oldman and uh, were like, know, okay, yeah, that makes sense. One of the best actors of all time. In the novel, Jim Prado's mission takes place in Czechoslovakia. In the film, the mission takes place in Hungary. The change in location was because Hungary offers a 20% tax reduction for film production. Yeah, there you go. doesn't really impact anything. The most important thing to take out of this, though, is that Control is doing this, I would almost describe as secretly. Yes. No one really knows Off that this is books. happening. Yes, this is like a private mission to flush out a mole that he seems to be the only one at this point who believes exists. He's got it narrowed down to basically the inner circle. Not really sure how he narrowed it down to them. He's just decided that Jim is not a suspect, the guy that he's sending on this mission. Right. The ins and outs as to who and why each people are, are at the level that they're at and why some people are suspects and not others, those are things that you would probably more fully express in the novel. For the film, coming in it as amateurs, novices to this material, we right. just have to accept what they tell us. Uh-huh. So... Jim Prido, he seems like he would be in the inner circle, but he's not. He's a guy that is being sent to flush out this mole for whatever reason. Control trusts him. Uh, he has a long history here. He's known several of these dudes for many years. And Smiley, his right-hand man, is among the suspects, which I think rubs him the wrong way maybe later. He yes, feels a little bit hurt by so. that. <laughs> you weren't followed. Better come in. Trust no one, Jim. Especially not in the mainstream. Sit down. I understand you still have one Hungarian identity running. I do. I want you to go to Budapest. This is not above board. Nobody else knows. They're after my head, Jim boy. You understand? service. A Hungarian general wants to come over. I would like you to meet him. He has some information that I need, Jim. 
What information? Treasure. He has the name of the mole the Russians have planted in the British Intelligence Service. Right at the top of the circus. There's a rotten apple, Jim. We have to find it. Prido, realizing the meeting in Budapest is a trap, is shot in the back as he tries to walk away. Yeah, it's a pretty cool scene the way it's done because they just start giving you these clues from his perspective as to why something is off here. The waiter's like sweating on the table. He looks across the street. Some woman's looking on from the window, then shuts her window. Yeah. It's it's like a slow realization. Then he's just like, uh, I'm going to go. <laughs> and knocks his chair over and starts walking away at a quick pace before being fired upon. Yeah, it's a little bit like the calm before the storm as far as a mob hit or something yeah. where you can kind of see a little bit of the nervousness and but it pick is, up on the signs that maybe everyone in the area is a little bit more aware that right. something's about to happen. It is confusing, though. It is weird from the perspective of the movie because... You think that he's going in to do some mission that immediately goes off the rails, but even the hit attempt is going wrong. Somebody's being yelled at while (laughs) the mission is attempting to be executed. Yeah, it seems like whatever the initial plan was didn't actually happen, and then the waiter, who is the guy with the gun, sort of goes rogue when he panics. Right. But there's a clumsy brutality to the scene. A breastfeeding woman is accidentally killed as collateral damage. That's disturbing. Prido is shot in the back, and in that moment, you certainly assume that he's dead. Yeah, decent amount of blood. One thing that jumps out about Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy definitely is the look. Director Alfredson based the environment on his first impressions of London when he first visited the city in the 1970s. A brown and gray palette, shadows and uncovered light bulbs, and dirty streets. If you see London now, and at the time, it's two different cities. Today, it's a white city. Then it was black. It was so dirty. Yeah. And you could still feel the war all around. Everything definitely has an old, dusty vibe to it. Yeah, it seems pretty overcast grim Mm -hmm. not welcoming not fun (laughs) dude how about this place where smiley goes swimming yeah the water looks disgusting there's just like gross old men in it i definitely (laughs) made a note of the gratuitous old geezers swimming (laughs) not a big fan it's just like brown water there's like leaves in it you're like what is this get a pool (laughs) leaves there's leaves and it just looks dirty (laughs) as a result of the events in budapest control and his right-hand man george smiley played by gary oldman are forced to retire and then control dies soon after (laughs) i like smiley's surprise when this happens control's like yeah i'm resigning and they're like well what about smiley he's like well he's going to and smiley's like what (laughs) percy alleline played by toby jones becomes the new chief Bill Hayden, played by Colin Firth, is his deputy, while Roy Bland, played by Kieran Hines. And Bland is a uh, fitting name for his character. And Toby Esterhaus, played by David Densick, serve as Percy's lieutenants. So we've got a whole new crew Although coming new crew, into power. same as old crew. Right, they were there before, but they've yeah. taken that final right. step to the they've big seats. Up. Jared Harris was originally 
going to play the part of Percy. He ends up not in the film because of the Sherlock Holmes sequel. A big factor as to what is going on is the prevailing fears of World War III. We're in the height of the Cold War with Russia. This is an influence over all of the actions in the film, all of the people in the film. The circus sees itself as the front line in England. However, their allies, America, can't really trust the Brits anymore, thanks mostly to some loose lips. Mm -hmm. You definitely get the feel that these guys like to gossip. Yeah, and they've found themselves on the outs. And this is something that we'll come back to time and time again, probably as we go through it. But I think that the decline in British influence... British significance on the world stage at this point during the Cold War is a huge influence for not only the characters who potentially betray their country, the mole and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but also the people working to flush out the mole and remain loyal to their country and preserve some sort of dignity and pride. And it's interesting to see how that impacts both sides of it, because I definitely think that's the motivation for everyone. It just, it, ends up with different things for sure yeah everybody's got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder when it comes to their pride in their country yeah and how that manifests itself is completely different from one character to the next at this point percy and company have already begun receiving soviet intelligence from a secret source this little project has been dubbed operation witchcraft witchcraft is sort of a catch-all for not only what they're doing, but also the person that they speak with. They Mm -hmm. kind of just use that as a general code name for everything. Yeah. Both the act of doing it and the actual target that they're communicating with, I think. Right. Field agent Ricky Tarr, played by Tom Hardy, warns permanent undersecretary Oliver Lakin, played by Simon McBurney, that there is a mole at the top of the circus. Lakin, pretty quick to buy this information. Well, yeah, since Tar is now the second source claiming that there is a mole, Mm -hmm. he feels a certain duty to at least look into it because it's exactly what Control had said before he left. So now you've got a second person claiming it. It's unclear if Lakin fully believes it or not, but he's at least willing to explore the possibility. Michael Fassbender was originally considered for Ricky Tar. He ends up being in X-Men First Class instead. So it seems like these... <laughs> well, let's just get a different famous cool dude. These IP properties would swoop in and offer the real big bucks, like Sherlock yeah. Holmes and X-Men, and these people were like, all right. I did think it was weird that I, know, I read you... that other than Oldman, nobody was officially contracted until like literally the day before they started filming. Oh, Wow. These people were just assuming that everyone was in place, but I don't think the official contracts were really done until like the very last minute. That's wild. Who would you rather have, Fassbender or Tom Hardy? <laughs> Who do you feel like is a bigger get? A bigger get now or in 2011? Now. Now? Fassbender. Okay. Has Tom Hardy's moment passed? No. I don't know. <laughs> They're pretty equal. Yeah, I think so. I would think. That's fair. Still, not a bad get with Hardy. A permanent undersecretary of state, known informally as a permanent secretary, is the most senior civil servant of a ministry in the United Kingdom, charged with running the department on a day-to-day basis. So basically, this guy is somewhat important. 
He is a civil servant. He is not elected. So that's where the permanent thing comes from. It's sort of an appointment. I think that they can remain in that position for a long period of time. Okay. Little bit of context to try to help clarify who these people are, but it's not like super crucial. You kind of get the sense of when somebody's somebody's boss in this movie. <laughs> you just kind of know. Knowing that Control had the same theory, Lakin asked Smiley to investigate. Smiley seemingly enjoying that David Putty like existence of sitting on his couch and staring straight ahead, just waiting for this moment, I guess. Assisting Smiley will be Tar's boss. Peter Gwillem, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and retired Special Branch Officer Mendel, played by Roger Lloyd Pack. Not really a huge part for Mendel, but he's sort Mm -hmm. of the generic muscle. Yeah, I guess just a guy that has some history with Smiley, but is just a henchman for him, really. Peter, more so, and you get more of this by doing reading outside of the movie, had been Smiley's guy for a while. That It was like his protege. And when Control and Smiley are kicked out the club, he also gets demoted as part of that. Yeah, I think that it should be noted that Control's departure from the circus definitely sent shockwaves reverberating through the different floors of the operation and affected a lot of people. And their careers. Yeah, people are out, basically, at a certain point. Yeah. And demoted, changed jobs, switched around, moved, whatever. And it does seem as if some force has come in and tried to erase Control's memory, influence, existence, whatever the word you want to use is, but conceal what used to be there and move it aside. Well, Percy's got to get his guys in place. Sure, yeah. And that's the thing. With a lot of the things in this movie, you don't know what is coincidence and what is actually directly related to what's happened. So you don't know if some of these people losing their jobs or being demoted or being moved around is an intentional thing or if that's just collateral damage, Mm -hmm. unrelated really. To tie a bow on Officer Mendel, the special branch was a unit in the Metropolitan Police in London formed as a counterterrorism unit in 1883 and merged with another unit to form Counterterrorism Command in 2006, which would definitely be after the events of this film. It maintained contact with the Secret Service, MI5, and had responsibility for, among other things, personal protection of non-royal VIPs and performing the role of examining officer at designated ports and airports as prescribed by the Terrorism Act of the year 2000. So Mendel is sort of a special police. Sure. I think all that you really need to take away, though, from the opening is that Smiley is a guy who was out, and now he has to be the returning hero to come back back and fix the problem from the outside. And then this little operation that Lakin has put together here is sort of like what Control did in sending Pride out to Mm -hmm. Hungary in the first place. It's its own little secret mission within the workings of what's been going on on a day-to-day basis. Right. Like, no one's really supposed to know about this. It's happening outside, I don't want to say the law, but outside of your typical formalities. There's some crossover with The Departed. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. Well, I think how there may be some homosexual undertones with the Matt Damon character. I think that you see some of the crossover that in this. Just like the idea of these guys living double lives. Sure, yeah. There's a lot of that at play. 
He said Tar called him from the phone box. He said there's a mole right at the top of the circus that he's been there for years. suggestion that there is a mole. He, he never mentioned his suspicions to you? No. Oh, I just thought it was just you were his man, so to speak. What did you say to him? Well, I'm afraid I thought his paranoia had rather got the better of him. He's going to put his whole house down. That bloody mess in Budapest. Damn it, George. It's your generation, your legacy. I would have thought if there's any truth in this, then he'd want to, uh... There's a retired special branch man, Mendel. I should like to have him. John Lacare partially based George Smiley on a friend, the Lincoln College tutor and Oxford University, Don the Reverend Vivian Green. Smiley was also based on Lacare's boss at MI5, Lord Clan Morris, who wrote crime novels under his given name, John Bingham. Gary Oldman is the fifth actor to play George Smiley in a movie. And on television, his predecessors include Rupert Davies, who was the first in The Mm. Spy Who Came In From the Cold in 1965, James Mason in The Deadly Affair in 1967, where Smiley was renamed Charles Dobbs, Sir Alec Guinness played him twice in Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy in 79, and Smiley's People in 82, while Denholm Elliott was the last person to play Smiley in A Murder of Quality from 1991. George Smiley first appears seven minutes into this film, and although he appears repeatedly in the following minutes, he does not actually speak his first line until 18 minutes in. That line is, I'm retired now, Oliver. You fired me. (laughs) (laughs) Just when I thought I was out. Yep. (laughs) Nothing better than the weary vet being dragged back in to save the day. So simple, yet so effective. That's right. (laughs) They'll keep using variations of this story. In all media for it's the a end winning of time. Formula. Yeah. 
People love it. Gary Oldman based his performance as George Smiley on a line from the novel. George is like a swift. Anne once told Hayden in George's hearing, he lowers his temperature until it's the same as the room around it. Then he doesn't lose heat by adjusting. Director Thomas Alfredson further compared Smiley to a turtle because the turtle has so much of its body hidden inside a shell. It is fixed and it doesn't have a lot of different expressions. Okay, that checks out. Control had evidently never shared his belief in the existence of a mole with Smiley, but Smiley believes it enough now. Yeah, well, in the conversation with Hayden towards the end of the movie, there's definitely a lot of allusions to, like, you've always known. So, I don't know. It seems like Smiley was maybe living in the dark, but maybe should have known that this was going on. Yeah, well, it's also unclear if Hayden means... Well, yeah. All along, or once you knew there was a mole, right, that true. you knew it had to be me. Yeah. It's kind of a little vague in true. the film. He and Gwillem search Control's flat and discover the chess pieces with the faces taped to them. The chess pieces Control used in this movie are Carla, who is a catch-all yeah. term for this one guy. I don't know if his name actually is Carla or has anything to do with Carla, I know, but Carla is the Russian equivalent to... The big cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know how to put that. I know. I was telling you at first, when they kept saying it, I thought it was just like a code name for like general Russian spy syndicate. And then eventually I realized, oh, wait, that is a dude. Yeah. Carla is a person and Carla is represented by a white queen. Adeline is Tinker as a white rook. Hayden Taylor as a white bishop. Bland as a soldier, a black king. Esterhaus poor man as a black knight, and Smiley, beggar man, as a black queen. Later on, Smiley used Polyakov as a black bishop. Using the same piece for Smiley and Carla hints at their mastermind status and rivalry. The queen is the most powerful piece in chess. Using the same piece for Hayden and Polyakov hints at their connection. Mm. By the way, Carla is never shown in the film at all, at least not fully. Much like Control, I would think of the name as sort of like a co-name. Yeah. Lakare based the character of Carla on the KGB's Major General Rem Krasilinikov, who was a counterintelligence spy for the KGB's State Security Committee. Flashbacks with Control help provide some context. Where did you get this? I didn't. Percy and his little cabal walked in with it. Look, Control... Shut up. Style appalling, patently a fabrication from beginning to end, just could be the real thing. Well, if it's genuine, it's gold dust, but its topicality makes it suspect. Smiley is suspicious, Percy. Where did it come from? What's the access? A new secret source of mine. But how could he possibly have access? He has access to the most sensitive levels of policy making. We've named the operation Witchcraft. Well, Percy and his pals bypassed us, Smiley, gone straight to the minister. Percy has been allowed to keep the identity of his new friend top secret. Percy seems most suspicious at first. He ascends. Right. He He, benefits the most from what happens. He has the secret double agent, which just so happens to gain him access to the most desired secret information treasure control outright accuses him of going around both control and smiley with this information this is in 
this initial flashback here when we first find out about this source, that coupled with Percy being put into the top position definitely puts the bullseye on him first. Does it seem to you like Smiley is upset at his inclusion among the chess pieces? Is there a pause there for a minute where he's looking at it? Yeah. Piecing together what that means? He is quiet and reserved, so it's always hard to get a feel, but I think so. I think you can draw that out of it. Yeah, because, again, this speaks to maybe our inexperience with the source material, but I do think it's fascinating that the person who is sent to flush out the mole is Prido, thus, to me, meaning Control thinks it's definitely not him, right? but Smiley, his right-hand man, is one of the people. We don't know what the qualifier is for the five people he thinks that it might be. Exactly. It's yeah. probably tied to some piece of information that only those yeah. guys knew about. Definitely. Yeah. But since the movie introduces a bunch of people to you and right. doesn't really explain the hierarchy that much, yeah. then yeah, it does seem like, oh, kind of a burn yeah. for it to be included. I will say the pause that he has is similar to the same pauses that anytime he mentions or someone else mentions his wife. <laughs> There's always sort of a pause there. Yeah, it's a pause I'm familiar with whenever I mention your wife. (laughs) It's a lot of like, Anne. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's busy. Yeah. (laughs) The idea now seems to be to parlay witchcraft into a bargaining chip to get back into the good graces of the United States. Percy is really pushing this with Lakin and then also directly with the minister, which is why Control was upset in the flashbacks in the first place because they're circumventing the hierarchy to take this directly to their bosses and really make it seem like it's going to be this big, great thing. But in reality, there's so much uncertainty about the nature of what the source is and all of those things. Smiley then interviews analyst... Connie Sachs, played by Kathy Burke, who was dismissed from the circus shortly after Control and Smiley. She's got a lot of personality. She had deduced that Soviet cultural attache Alexei Polyakov was Mm -hmm. actually a military officer. She suspected that he was running a mole in London, and that cost her her job. I believe she had that one. Yeah, and it definitely is an indication of really solid work really good work where she is examining old footage from different parades and different events in russia and finding just a flash of a moment where someone gives polyakov a military salute and she's summarily dismissed by the new hierarchy of the circus leave it alone you're obsessed (laughs) which again points suspicion at them but i think yeah (laughs) ultimately what's funny is that you kind of realize that it's more incompetence I know. from these people because they're just so blinded by their right. own ambition. Yeah. He doesn't want anything to jeopardize his role now. Yeah. And that's really what his motivation is. It's not actually him being a part of any big she, espionage or anything like that. She has like an all-knowing quality to her. She's probably the best of the bunch. She recognizes this immediately. Also kind of hints at... Prito and Hayden having like a relationship that maybe more than meets the eye. They really like each other. Yeah, she definitely is one of those people who probably knew 
a lot more mm-hmm. beyond her station even. She just knew the ins and outs right. and all those different things. Definitely an invaluable type of resource mm-hmm. that would be suspicious to get rid of. Always knows what's going on with Smiley's marriage at any given point. <laughs> well, everyone does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they get like email updates yeah. about it. <laughs> Came in across the ticker tape. For those of you a little bit unfamiliar, a cultural attache is a diplomat with varying responsibilities depending on the sending state of the attache. Historically, such posts were filled by writers and artists, giving them a steady income and allowing them to develop their own creative work while promoting their country's culture abroad. However, many countries' cultural attaches serve a different purpose. It's a good cover for a potential spy in a country. I think the only thing we really need to know about Polyakov is he had been previously cleared as acceptable. All good. Yeah, yeah this is fine. We don't need to worry Not about it. Not a black mark on his record. But she found something in the archives which that was is suspicious. a little more than... Pretty damning, actually. Yeah, it seems a little strange because yeah. he's supposedly just this random diplomat guy and then they're giving him a military salute. Which... And it is weird... And I know it's one of the things that kind of makes the movie and just plays with your suspicions around who the mole is. But Percy, his reaction to this is kind of insane. Yeah. It's like nothing to see here. Now, he has an interest in protecting Polyakov. Right. They've already made up their mind. That's what you have to understand. Right. And it's not so defined. Like, it's such a, a fast little gesture that... You could, I guess, Write dismiss it, it as yeah. it's not really a military salute. True. Although it does seem kind of obvious. Right. I don't know. But this whole thing, this relationship is his key to accomplishing everything that he wants, which seemingly heavily has to do with getting communication open with America again. Yeah. He's the one that seems most interested in that. Well, you could read into that, that that's all Polyakov and these people have been pushing over right. time. Yeah. Very subtly, just bringing it up, bringing it up. This is what we need to do. And then yep. it's, he's just adopted that as the marching orders. Right. Now. As you alluded to, just like the original 1974 novel, the film heavily implies, but does not actually ever fully confirm, that Hayden, Colin Firth's character, and Prido, Mark Strong's character, are lovers. Mm-hmm. Six years after the film had its world premiere, Lacare published a sequel called A Legacy of Spies, which revisited many of the same characters and in which he finally confirmed Hayden as being Prido's nemesis and former lover. Hmm. I think the interesting thing about Lacare's material is that there's no one definitive canon to it, which yeah. Brian was explaining to us at dinner, but you can kind of pick up on those clues just by reading about the different books. It seems like he would change the, the, the time frames and change what was going on with different characters and different things just to fit a specific story. So it was sort of like DC Comics or Marvel Comics in a way, yeah, yeah. where they have set characters, but then you can kind of change things to fit your specific story, the one that you're telling in that moment. Hmm. But you don't have to stick to any one bigger right. thing if you don't need to. Which can be confusing. It can be confusing, but it's probably nothing too drastic. Yeah, yeah. It's just to fit it into a story. I think part of it was that based on when the characters introduced and all of the different timelines and stuff that people were figuring out that Smiley would have to be like 120 years old at a certain <laughs> point or something like that. So in other words, you're yeah. just kind of moving the character around. 
think of Batman as an example. There's a million different Batman stories, and a lot of them contradict each other, but you know who Batman is. Correct. So you know who Smiley is. He's not completely different. Right. You're just sort of moving him into different worlds and different times and different functions, maybe, to make the story work. But But that sometimes can contradict something else that already happened. Right. By the way, nemesis and former lover. How many people fall into that bucket? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Though the film jumps around in both space and time, thus making it a little disorienting when it comes to processing new information, we do learn that, yes, Jim Prido was not actually killed in Budapest, but is, in fact, still very much alive. Yes. And now a schoolmaster for some reason. (laughs) It was an interesting post-spy career choice. When Jim Prido asks one of his students to hand out papers, the boy begins imitating Quasimodo and chanting the bells, the bells, to the rest of the class's amusement. This is an artifact from an earlier draft of the script in which Prido has been left with a malformed shoulder as the result of botched surgery after having been shot by the Soviets, Uh. causing him to appear to have a hunched back. While this element is present in the book, it was removed from the film, presumably to spare Mark Strong from having to wear a prosthesis, although the boy's imitation was left in the film. (laughs) Which is kind of weird. You're like, what is this kid doing? Why is he doing this? It does seem strange. For a movie that was going to be complicated enough on its own, they certainly didn't do the audience any favor by leaving in weird random things where you're kind of like, Referencing things that we wouldn't know about. Is this important? Should I know about this? (laughs) Another example is the whole sequence... With the bird? With the owl coming in through the fireplace in the old-fashioned classroom and Jim killing the owl, which is supposed to be done in a different way. Right. Which then was... Clue be the you clue in. to yeah. something that happens later, which is also done in a different way. So right. there's actually no reason to leave the scene of him killing the owl exactly. in at all. Because <laughs> it doesn't really <laughs> foreshadow or allude to anything now. <laughs> it's very weird. I don't know. I guess it's just a nod at that point. I was actually of the opinion that for those of us who hadn't read the book, it might have actually been cooler to conceal Jim Prido still being alive until later in the yeah. film. It's actually weird that they reveal it this early because there's no reason and you get nothing out of this well, scene. What is a surprise? Well, I like his story, though, when he sits down with Smile and you see the stuff post him getting shot. Well, yeah, but you could save that for oh, later give in it the all. film. Yeah, okay, yeah. In this moment, when we see him working at the school, we're not even 100% sure that what we're seeing is present day. Well, that's true because, because there's the a lot of jumping around. Because the movie has flashbacks in it, so yeah. you're thinking oh, well, this guy's dead, so this must be the past. And they do flashbacks a lot in this movie in a way where the camera will be focused on a character, and then you're supposed to realize that we're going into a flashback of that character. (laughs) Yeah, in their head. Yeah. Tar shows up at Smiley's home, so now he's back in England, telling him that there's a woman that they need to get back from Carla. He tells Smiley that in Istanbul... Soviet agent Arena wanted to exchange the identity of the mole in return for asylum. Just hours after Tar cabled London that a Soviet defector could identify a double agent, the local station chief was murdered and Irina was abducted. This is a little complicated, but yeah. essentially Tar was on a different mission. There was a different target named Boris. Boris proves to be a little bit of a dead end, not really what they were thinking. However, there's a jilted lover in the mix. Yeah. Tar gets a look at her. <laughs> He's like, I got to talk to this girl. I felt She compelled. could be crucial. Yeah. 
I got a feeling about this one. She's being cheated on, and she's also being abused, but she's also gorgeous. So, of course, the white knight instincts kicking in here from Tar. He swoops in. Just so happens she knows a bunch of shit, which he's willing to give for a brand new life. Mm -hmm. Because she knows who he is, she reveals. There's a little bit of a romance montage. Obviously, the implication is that there's much deeper feelings at play, Mm -hmm. which Tar tries to keep concealed, but it doesn't really work anyway. And I know that this is lame, and I always fucking hate reading YouTube comments under videos because everyone says the same dumbass shit, but... It was kind of fun seeing Bane and Commissioner Gordon talking about this. I know that <laughs> that's such the dumbest shit that people write about every scene from movies now. They have to call them their characters from comic book movies and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, oh, LOL, Iron Man talking to fucking Scarecrow or whatever yeah. for Oppenheimer. All right. A year later, The Dark Knight Rises comes out. All yeah. right. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, let's dumb it down. Clearly, whoever received tar's message was not on the up and up that's all we need to know oh yeah the person who was afraid of being exposed was privy to the fact that a cable has come in saying that they have the identity and now all hell's broken loose yes fearing for his life tar went into hiding now he's re-emerged in smiley's flat and he's scared not sure who to trust it was weird to me that he goes to smiley's flat and maybe that's explained why i wasn't really getting because he worked he was underneath peter that was who he like reported up through i guess it's a holdover from who they think is the most trustworthy people yeah i'm sure that even though there was a giant seismic shift after the incident with prido that a lot of the old people probably still think of control and smiley as the real people to reach out to and now that smiley is out right it couldn't have been him yeah, that yeah. received the message. Right. So he's almost eliminated himself as a suspect because it's almost like another Zodiac letter came in <laughs> with proof that the Zodiac killed this guy. And now Smiley's like, well, it wasn't me yeah. because it happened after I was gone. Mm-hmm. See? I don't know if Tar was... See, Control? I know you're dead now, but... I don't know if Tar was thinking all of those things through, but he was probably at least yeah. under the impression that Control and Smiley were the up-and-up guys. Yeah, I would say he's pretty quick on his feet. Gratuitous old men swimming in a lake footage. (laughs) It's weird, too, because at no point during this film are you under the impression that it's the summer. No, it looks chilly. It looks like it's fall or something, and they're jumping in this lake. It's bizarre. I know. It seems like it'd be freezing. And gross. Yes. They come out covered in leeches. Right. He's, like, opening up his underwear. (laughs) He's, like, Passing out. (laughs) Peter Gilliam, like, meet him outside of it, too. Like, come on, boss. Check my back for leeches. <laughs> yeah. After hearing Tar's story, Smiley sends Gwillem to steal the duty officer's logbook for the night Tar contacted London. Which is a tricky operation. While he's in the process of doing exactly that, he's unexpectedly summoned before circus leadership and told that Tar is a traitor and has defected. What's that shrug for? I'm talking to you about the traitor who cut the throat of our man in Istanbul. I'm talking to you about a defector from your own damn section. I'm accusing you of consorting with an enemy agent behind my back. Don't damn well shrug at me. You're like a term in prison.
haven't been seeing him. So get your facts straight and get off my back! So, if I told you Tar had recently arrived in Paris, would you be surprised? No, nothing would surprise me about Ricky Tar. And if I told you we happen to know £30,000 mysteriously appeared in his bank account last month, would that surprise you? Your man's a defector, Gwillem. Got turned by the opposition months ago and now they've sent him back to us. What for? Never mind what for. To muddy the water, that's what for. Spread a whole lot of damn nonsense to get us chasing our tails. The point is this. He's heading for home. The first peep from him, you come to the grown-ups. Understood? Anyone you see around this table but not another damn soul. Get out. It's a little bit like the scene when Graysmith goes to yeah. Roger Rabbit's house and he, he convinces himself in just a few minutes that this guy might be the Zodiac because you start seeing that paranoia everywhere because right. Gwillem is doing something that he only knows about, yet he starts getting freaked out about everything that's happening because they have to do this whole thing where they check their bags Yep, and then he does a pretend little skit about his car, but then yeah. he's like, oh, I just need to grab my bag, and they're like, all right, whatever. So then he slips in the logbook that he's stealing. Yeah, yeah. And he's so panicked about it, then he gets called in. He's hard, He's having a hard time keeping his cool, that's for sure. But part of the ruse is that there's a phone call that's supposedly coming in from his mechanic. I think it's actually that Mendel guy. It is, yeah. But there's a song playing in the background, and then later Roy Bland is running around singing the Mr. Wu song. And right. you're like, was he overhearing their phone call or is that just a coincidence? Everything is starting to look like the mole could be anywhere. The paranoia is around every corner. But ultimately, he is successful. Yeah, he gets He gets it. the logbook. No one's really on to him. But he's a little bit nervous. But they do sort of threaten him a little bit. And they tell him that Tar basically got like $30,000 in an account. Yes. Which is supposed to be what gives away that he has defected. Let's put a little historical context onto this. John Lacare's original novel was based on the uncovering during the 1950s and 60s of the Cambridge Five traders who were KGB moles working within SIS. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is the first book in Lacare's Carla or Quest for Carla trilogy, the second and third parts being The Honorable Schoolboy from 1977, and Smiley's People from 1979. Smiley's People was adopted with Alec Guinness as well in the early 80s. I don't believe The Honorable Schoolboy has ever been adapted into anything. Hmm. David John Moore Cornwell, okay, better known by his pen name, John Le Carre, was a British and Irish author best known for his espionage novels, many of which were successfully adapted for film or television. A sophisticated, morally ambiguous writer. He is considered one of the greatest novelists of the post-war era. During the 1950s and 60s, he worked for both the Security Service, MI5, and the Secret Intelligence Service, MI6. So, when I say that our author has experience, this is what I mean. All right. First-hand experience. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is the fifth of Lacare's spy novels to feature the character of George Smiley. The first four being Call for the Dead, A Murder of Quality, The Spy Who Came In from the Cold, and The Looking Glass War, and the fictionalized intelligence agency of The Circus. Two of the characters, Peter Gwillem and Inspector Mendel, first appeared in Call for the Dead, 
while Control appeared in The Spy, who came in from the cold. With Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Lakari returned to the world of spy fiction after his non-espionage novel, The Naive and Sentimental Lover, was panned by critics. <laughs> I always love that move. Yeah. It's like when Wes Craven made Music for the Heart with <laughs> Meryl Streep, and everyone's like, what the fuck? Don't do that. <laughs> You're famous for your thing. That's right. Don't ever try to do anything else. I know. Ever. <laughs> when Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was published in 74, revelations exposing the presence of Soviet double agents in Britain were still fresh in public memory. Guy Burgess, Donald McLean, and Kim Philby, later known as members of the Cambridge Five, had been exposed as KGB spies. The Five had risen to very senior positions in the British diplomatic service. Yeah. That is pretty embarrassing, huh? Lacare worked as an intelligence officer during that similar time period. Senior SIS officer Kim Philby's defection to the USSR in 1963 and the consequent compromising of British agents was a factor in the 1964 termination of Cornwell's intelligence career. So Lacare ends up out after all of this stuff is going down. Lacare also drew from the paranoid atmosphere created by CIA counterintelligence chief James Jesus Angleton after Philby's defection became convinced that there were other moles operating at the highest levels of Western intelligence oh, agencies. Boy. It's just the whole thing. It's a very <laughs> run by spies. specific time, a time of mourning what Britain once was and bitterly reckoning with its inevitable decline. Mm-hmm. This malaise seems to motivate all of the characters, but in starkly different ways. Yeah, There is palpable hope of reconciliation with the United States as far as sharing information, perhaps clinging to the role of eternal little brother at a certain point. But there is also real anger, too, which is leading to the defection, both in the fiction and in the real-life Cambridge Five. Director Alfredson and cinematographer Hoyt Van Hoytma do a fantastic job of visualizing this pervasive malaise. Oh, yeah. The whole atmosphere, the whole universe of this film feels resigned to... It's swimming in that lake. Futility. <laughs> sadness. <laughs> Imagine yeah. swimming in that lake. <laughs> That's that, life. That sums up the feeling. Not even a treat. Yeah. <laughs> you have to swim in a shitty lake. <laughs> Though Gwillem is temporarily convinced by the smear against Tar, Smiley finds that the logbook pages for the relevant night, the night Tar contacted regarding Arena and her story, have been removed, supporting Tar's account. Yeah. Smiley is convinced the mole is trying to discredit Tar. After uh, Peter beats the shit out of him, by the way, he completely was falling for that Tar had defected and was paid this money because of that. (laughs) Even when there's bursts of anger and emotion, everyone else around it is just sort of like, all right, stop. Take it. All right, look, you're making a fool of yourself. Smiley tells Willem that in 1955, he actually met Carla. Yep. And this is a pretty big moment in the film because you can kind of start to piece together little bits of information about Smiley's wife yeah. and all these different things. It's a choice to do it this way because there's so many flashbacks in the movie that this could definitely be another flashback. But instead they do it as just like a monologue from Gary Oldman. Yeah, and he ends up acting opposite an empty chair. Yeah, right. <laughs> as if he's Clint Eastwood yep. or something. 
He had urged Moscow's spymaster to defect back then, begging him to think of his wife, and then realized too late that he had in fact revealed his own weak spot, his love for his own wife. Oof. This is a pretty interesting scene. Willem's completely frazzled by everything that's going on, and then yeah. revealing that he's actually met and spoken with Carla is a big surprise because... Heavy amount of uh, scotch flowing, by the way. Oh, yeah, this is a late-night drunk yeah. for both of them. And this is the most <laughs> that Smiley really opens up at any point yeah, in the true. movie. Yep. And he talks maybe more than he's ever spoken in his life Right. in these brief moments here where he's not only revealing a little bit about his history and his secret conversation with Carla, not that it's a bad secret, but just sort of something that people don't know about, I guess, and then tying that in with his own personal life and the issues going on with his wife and everything else there. But yeah, it's interesting to all of a sudden have a more personal connection to these very dry, heady right. issues of state, issues of politics, issues of country, spying, espionage, mm-hmm. war, etc. All of a sudden now there's a direct personal connection. Carla becomes less of an idea because I think to the younger guys, the people who hadn't been around forever, like Aguilum and maybe Tar right. and some of these other people, Carla probably ceased to be a person, ceased R- to right. be a man. more the way I was looking at it. It's just sort of this faceless entity, this evil that right. you're fighting against. But there was a time before things turned real bad at some point in that aftermath of World War II where everybody's sort of unsure of what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. the world has been introduced to nuclear bombs and atomic bombs and the whole thing and what's going to happen now i guess smiley felt like he did have a moment with carla but he didn't fully grasp how carla's mind worked and before he knew what had happened it was too late he had already revealed something about himself when he was meaning to try to appeal to something within carla I give him the usual pitch. Come to the West and we can give you a comfortable life. After questioning. What did he say? Think of your wife. You have a wife, don't you? I brought you some cigarettes, by the way. Use my lighter. We can arrange for her to join you. We have a lot of stock to trade. If you go back, she'll be ostracized. Think of her. Think about... I kept hopping on about the damn wife. Telling him more about me than... I should have walked out, of course. But for some reason, it seemed important to save this one, so I go on. We're not so very different, you and I. We've both spent our lives looking for the weaknesses in one another's systems. 
Don't you think it's time to recognize there is as little worth on your side as there is on mine? He also says something really cool at some point during this monologue where he says, the fanatic is always concealing a secret doubt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's actually a really good line. Definitely. And you could definitely apply it to a lot of shit going on in our modern world. Well, yeah. <laughs> Because I think for a lot of people, it is hard to relate to a fanatic. Mm -hmm. And so having that line, I think, explains so much about maybe what you're not considering about these people is that their biggest fear is that they're wrong. Is that they're wrong. And so then they double and triple down on it. And then they basically live their life in a way where they can't be wrong. Yeah. That just cannot be part of it anymore. And then once you've reached that point, you cease to be rational and then you've become the fanatic. If you've reached a point where you cannot allow yourself to be wrong anymore because you're too entrenched in it, Mm -hmm. you're only asking for disaster at that point. Yes, this is sounding all too familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're fanatics about this podcast. That's kind of the way I am with like my sports teams. I like to think they're good, but what if they're not? (laughs) Understanding that they are going to be under constant surveillance, Gwilym must part ways with his lover who would no longer be safe. And this is an interesting change that they made. Yeah, I like the way that the film. Smiley builds into it. Like, well, they're going to be watching you now, so if there's anything you need to tidy up, now's the time. You know <laughs> what I mean? I think you know what I'm talking about, basically. In the novel, Peter Gwillem was in a relationship with a female musician named Camilla. In this film, he is a homosexual in a relationship with a man. According to Benedict Cumberbatch, a creative decision that works well within this film he said, sexuality was a very powerful tool then. Gwilym keeps his homosexuality secret because he is so open to blackmail. It necessitates a certain amount of secretiveness, yeah. which goes hand in hand with spying. Now, one of the girls that works at the circus, who actually like hands him his briefcase or whatever. Belinda? Yeah, Belinda. Belinda the blonde. Yeah. As she's so endearingly referred to <laughs> around the office. When she's talking to him, or maybe it's the other girl that he's talking to, but... The girl says, oh, are you going to be spending this weekend with your family? Uh Which makes it seem like he's in a heterosexual marriage with like a kid or something, but... No, I know what scene you're talking about. It's a scene that where she's trying to hit on him, and she's not understanding, and he said something about spending time with his aunts. Uh, Yeah, okay. I thought family was mentioned, too. Yeah. Should have been a dead giveaway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she laughs at that. Yeah, she laughs at that, but I don't. I don't think she has any idea. Okay. No, I don't. Uh, if Smiley knows, that's just because Smiley is ultra perceptive. I don't think it's supposed right. to be an open secret because uh, yeah. that would defeat Agreed. the whole point. Totally. I don't think anyone's supposed to really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if he actually had a family too. Oh, you mean like, and his other thing is a secret relationship. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think so. Okay. Next up is the Christmas party flashback. Which provides a lot of context in yeah, really. sort of the inner workings as to what's been going on with if you ever wondered what Smiley's the, uh, relationships. A, a Christmas party for like British spies is like, look no further. Yeah, it really looks like a really shitty time. Lame yeah. and not fun. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think that a lot of these people are doing this in the first place out of loyalty to their country. And then, of course, that can be corrupted which is what ultimately is, this is about and what ends yeah. up happening. But I don't think that this is a very lucrative, fun 
industry way to live yeah i don't think there's a lot of money i don't think there's a lot of fun unless you like traveling then you could sort of be kind of a playboy like a ricky tar yeah maybe just finding your arenas all over the place yeah well yeah it helps to be good looking yeah. too but i do enjoy at the christmas party how control is just endlessly bashing percy over whatever drink recipe that he tried to whip together he's like this will take us five hours to get drunk on this he's just like pouring a bottle of, like vodka into it what we learn from this flashback is that Smiley's wife is having an affair, although in this moment it is actually concealed, the identity of the person. Right. You can kind of figure it out by who you don't see, mm -hmm. but they don't actually show it yet. Lacare has a cameo at the party himself as a drunken guest. One of the things that you can look at, too, is that someone decides that playing the Soviet national anthem would be funny. It is not. But... The reaction of various characters is something that you can pay attention to, and we will circle back to this later because I don't really want to just, you know, reveal everything yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. Right. But it's a joke that subtly foreshadows the identity of the mole in a way. Yeah. Like a lot of the things in this movie, how much it actually foreshadows and how much it actually is a hint, I guess, depends on True. how you feel about it. But yeah, there is a little bit of something you can pay attention to there. We'll come back to it later. Former duty officer Jerry Westerby, played by Stephen Graham, tells Smiley of how Prido's shooting sent control into shock. Westerby left a message with Smiley's wife, Anne, but mm. it was Bill Hayden who then arrived and took charge that night. You rang my house. Just on the off chance you were back from Berlin. What did you say? Hello. Hello, Mrs. Smiley. It's Jerry, Jerry Westerby from the office. Just thought there'd been a bit of a crisis. And said you wasn't back yet, and that was it. Go on. All hell broke loose. Military yelling about Hungarian tank movements on the border. Laken and the minister bane at the door. Thank Christ Bill Hayden turned up when he did. Mr Hayden! Not now. Mr Hayden! Out! Tommy. Try to get hold I got half a story on the ticket tape at my club. Tommy. Jim Prido has been shot. Later, Gwillem wonders how Hayden could have learned of the emergency, but it's then that Smiley tells him that Hayden was having an affair with Anne. Yeah, actually, Peter is on it here. He's like, well, it's got to be Hayden. Yeah. And then this is where Smiley is deceived by it all. I think this well, is he does not. Let's not. He doesn't say it's got to be Hayden. <laughs> He's just suspicious of how he would know. Yeah. That's all he says. How would he know? And then Smiley says, "I thought the same thing, but I have to tell you. Yeah, it's because he was at my house. That's actually all he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't yeah. even say he was having an affair. That's this movie is very British. You have to piece all this shit together right. for yourself. They don't actually ever say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's a lot of just implications. <laughs> There's never anything said. Yeah, yeah. But He's, I know, I love that. Smiley just being like, well, Bill was at my house that night. It's not what you think. Don't ask. Bill was at my house. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and then eventually you do realize that Ooh. the affair is all part of it. Right. But, yeah, and that's the whole reason to do it in the first place, I guess, is to cloud any potential judgment. Although it is sort of crazy foresight to think that one day it would be Smiley that, and Smiley alone. Yeah, yeah. Because there was a time when it was Control and Prido and Smiley had nothing to do with it. So well, Carla just knew that 
Smiley was the guy. Yeah. He was the real guy over there. It completes a little bit of the leftover puzzle from what we saw of the Christmas party. We now understand it was Hayden in the bushes grabbing on Anne's ass. (laughs) (laughs) While Smiley looks on. You can also read into Hayden's reaction to the news that Prido had been shot. Oh, yeah. Where there's sort of that panicked anger. If you harm one hair on his head... Everyone in the office starting to talk. Everyone's like looking away. Yeah. Called it. <laughs> in one of the flashback scenes, Control is speaking on the phone. On the desk behind him are two bulldogs draped in the Union Jack. These figurines were created by Royal Dalton during World War II to represent patriotism in Skyfall 2012. Yeah. M, played by Dame Judi Dench, the yes. head of MI6, has the same Royal Dalton bulldog on her desk so there's a little bit of crossover into the james bond world smiley tracks down prido still alive still working at the school not sure who all is supposed to know he's alive it is thought that he is dead they say that earlier in the film right why was he given a thousand dollars if he was dead now it's unclear if the audience in that moment is supposed to just understand Oh, not only is he alive, but in this moment, everyone now knows he he's alive. Because I wouldn't have taken that moment to mean that. All I took that to mean was, oh, well, maybe somebody could have pretended to be him. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we are shown that he is alive. Yes. But I'm just thinking of the characters who maybe thought he was dead. Would that be enough to make them think he was alive? I don't know. I don't know. This is all very weird. Not really sure who's supposed to know he's alive or not alive. Smiley tracks him down. Anyway, he tells Smiley about his original Budapest mission under Control's leadership. Prido was to relay the identity of the mole to Control via one of the code names assigned by Control to each of the members of the circus suspected to be the mole. Tinker, Percy. Taylor, Hayden. Soldier, Roy Bland. Poor man, Toby Esterhouse. Beggar man, Smiley. Prido tells Smiley he was tortured by the KGB and saw Arena shot in front of him. When he was returned to England, he was debriefed and given some money. It was Esterhouse who told him to forget everything and disappear, using terminology that would indicate he knew more than he should. He says, forget everything, forget Tinker Taylor. He actually uses wow. that phrase, meaning somehow he knew about the mission. About Control's direction, even though it was supposed to be secret. How he knew about that, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. It's never really fully explained to me, although... By the way, does he know that that's Arena, or is that just some blonde girl that gets shot in front of him? I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those things where we're seeing it as a flashback, and then... (laughs) We know who it is. We know everything, and we see it, but he doesn't even actually really say that much out loud to Smiley. Yeah, he just says some girl gets killed. They actually made a... A joke about that in an episode of Community, where they have a character explaining something that the audience is seeing as a flashback, yeah, yeah. and then he doesn't actually say where the key is, and then the other character is like, "Well, where is the key?" And then the guy's like, "Oh, in my head, it was so clear that you were seeing it." <laughs> Smiley then informs Lakin and the minister that Operation Witchcraft is a ruse. Everyone's being fooled. You're all fools. Yeah, I guess basically. He reached a point where he decided that he had enough to go on to convince him that the whole concept of this secret agent that's been helping us is bullshit. 
This meeting is not taking place, is that clear? Perfectly, Minister. There is a house somewhere in this city where Alaline and the others meet Witchcraft's London representative. I thought Lakin had made it clear to you. Keep your nose bloody well out of Witchcraft's business. It's Lakon's advice I'm following. You told me to follow in Control's footsteps. I wouldn't consider that sound advice, given the mess Control left us with. It has taken Alaline and if I may say so myself, this long to get us back in the game. The man Alaline and the others meet is called Polyakov. You believe his role is to bring information from witchcraft to you. His real role is to receive information from the mole, to take back to Carla. <laughs> but uh, that's not possible. Made possible by you in the house which you persuaded the treasury to pay for. Witchcraft's intelligence is genuine. It's been gold. It's just enough glitter amongst the chicken feed. Control didn't believe in miracles and he didn't believe in witchcraft, but you were lazy and you were greedy and so you hounded him out of the circus and you let Carla in. You've opened negotiations to exchange intelligence with the Americans. What they tell the circus, they're telling the Kremlin. Witchcraft's information, uh, the gold. Carla let you have. It wasn't to lure you. It was to lure the Americans. Now, do you want to take credit for that? What can we do? We have one thing the mole wants. The service believes Polyakov is bringing it Russian secrets, when in reality the mole is using those meats to actually send British secrets to Carla. The high quality of witchcraft's intelligence, the glitter, as Smiley puts it, is designed to lure the CIA, the Americans, into sharing intelligence with Britain which the mole can then leak to Carla. And yeah, I do think that it's kind of funny and sad in a way that even their biggest score, which yeah. is actually fake and a, a plot sham. against them, yeah. is really targeting a bigger fish all along. Yeah. So even this thing, which on the surface is good, but in reality is bad, regardless of if it's good or bad, it really has nothing to do with Britain to begin with. Right. They're not that interested in whatever Britain has to offer. <laughs> It's emasculating. Yeah. The whole movie is just one big emasculation. Oh Smiley is a cuck. And then this, <laughs> the whole country in a way ends up looking like a cuck. <laughs> that should have been one of the code names. <laughs> it's a quiet, patient performance from Oldman. The kind that can get you nominated for an Oscar, but also can be very difficult to win yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Because there's nothing flashy. It's a reserved it's interior right. character. Everything is inside. To prepare for the role of George Smiley, Gary Oldman ate a lot of treacle sponge and custard to, quote, put on a bit oh, of middle-aged wow. tummy. Yeah, sounds delicious. What was that, sponge? <laughs> Even the food is beyond horrifying. <laughs> 
Oldman also watched Sir Alec Guinness's performance in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and paid a visit to Smiley's creator, John Le Carre. Mm-hmm. The way he touched his shirt, spoke, and so on, I took all that and used it. I hope he won't mind, but Smiley is in his DNA. Gary Oldman went to Old Focals, an eyeglass store in Pasadena, California, to search for the right glasses to fit George Smiley. Glasses are funny things. For Smiley, they're iconic. It's like Bonds, Aston Martin, or Vodka Martini. Oldman tried on hundreds of glass frames before he found the appropriate ones. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's some character research for you. He was also offered a gray wig, but instead opted to bleach his hair to achieve the color you see in the film, and it allowed for a more natural hairdo. Oldman also had to relearn his native accent, as much of it had faded after spending so much time in America. Hmm. Smiley threatens Esterhouse with deportation. The way he does it is kind of almost mafia style. In order to obtain the witchcraft safe house address, they drive him out to that yeah, airfield. airfield, and then the plane just keeps, keeps getting closer yeah. and closer and closer, <laughs> and Esterhouse keeps looking at it like, are we going to move? Or? Yeah, so is it at this <laughs> point then that Smiley has basically full power because... I think that's what comes out of the Lakin scene. They're like, do whatever you have to do to get yeah, this done. Yeah, well, he was already working for Lakin, but yeah, now the minister has yeah. accepted Smiley's version. Because before, the minister was thinking that the intelligence provided by witchcraft was legitimate. Why are you trying to fuck with this? But they're able to convince the right people. The last Esther House knew, Smiley has been kicked out. So... It, He's really taking to these threats that he's going to be deported. Well, it's not just Smiley. Yeah, true. At that point. Yeah. He's got Mendel and Gwillem. They've got the plane. Yeah, I know. It does seem pretty real. <laughs> it seems like we know what's going on, and you kind of do, but yeah. kind of don't. So they've got that over him. Mm-hmm. And he's also spineless, yes. like everyone right. else in this movie. <laughs> Probably the easiest to be pushed around out of that crew. Yeah. You also have to remember that Deep down, these guys, even though they are kind of spineless and they all did become selfish and care about their own ascension more than anything else, they are still technically loyal. They haven't turned on the country. And if they're presented with a reasonable case against this plan, against witchcraft, they will still ultimately probably do the right thing, even if it's somewhat reluctantly and somewhat against their own personal interests. I want to talk about loyalty, Toby. Control recruited you, didn't he? Found you starving in a museum in Vienna. A wanted man. Saved your life, I heard. And yet when the time came, when it came to picking sides between him and Alaline, you didn't hesitate. That's understandable, perhaps, with your war experience. You survived this long, I suppose, because of your ability to change sides. Serve any master. What? What's this about, George? It's about which master you've been serving, Toby. Intelligence has been leaked, Toby. Someone's been taking files from the circus. No, 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 no. This is a mistake. This is all a misunderstanding. Files were delivered to a Russian attaché, weren't they? Yes. 
And yes, I delivered them. But so did Percy Alleline. Bill Hayden. And so did Roy Bland. always what they seem. George, you should know that. Look, Moscow thinks Polyakov's working for them. So every now and then we'll give him the odd fire to take back to them chicken feet just to keep his bosses happy. But Polyakov's Arjo is a part of a big operation. Operation Witchcraft. Yes, I know. George, please, I don't, I don't Who deserve this. Who gave you the message for Jim Credo to forget about Tinker Taylor? Bland. To get rid of Connie Sachs, west of it? Bland. Or, or Hayden, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, one of them. Uh, uh, or maybe Percy, no, uh, well, I, I don't know who. You're just the messenger, running between them all. Anything to serve witchcraft. I know all about your secret source. And I know something you don't. I know who he is. His Carla. Meanwhile, in Paris, Tar surfaces and informs London that he has vile information regarding the circus, so this is all part of the plan. Smiley then waits at the safe house for the mole to alert Polyakov that Tar is about to blow their cover, and in a very anticlimactic, very British way, yeah. Hayden is revealed to be the mole and is arrested at gunpoint. Yeah, yeah. It's beyond bizarre how yeah. they do this. And it's almost like if you blink, you miss it. <laughs> you don't even need to blink to miss the I excitement know. because it's not really present <laughs> in this moment. The way they do it, too, with... Is it Gwillem coming into the room and looking right and then looking left yeah. the way they do that? Uh-huh. That's how they reveal it. He's already sitting there. The original moment of Smiley confronting him has already happened. Yeah, we yeah. don't even see that part. And he's True. just there at gunpoint. <laughs> to prepare for his role as Bill Hayden, Colin Firth reviewed footage of Kim Philby's 1955 press conference in this conference held after the defection of the British traders Donald McLean and Guy Burgess, Philby vehemently denied that he was a traitor. Seven years later, he fled to Moscow. You can see the tremendous tension in his body language and his facial expression, but he cannot hide the sense of mischief, which is kind of a weird way of putting it. Yeah, really. <laughs> Philby is who Lacare based the character of Hayden upon, so it makes sense. So let's go back to the Soviet anthem played at the Christmas party. While the two red herrings, Percy Alline and Esterhaus, briefly shake their heads in disapproval, with Esterhaus looking especially unamused, it's Hayden, hidden in the shadows, seducing Smiley's wife, which will turn out to be a part of his plan as a double agent. Mm. So while the anthem's playing, he's the character actually carrying out Carla's orders, which is not really a hint that you can actually pick up on in the moment, but then after the fact, it all kind of makes sense. 
The opening titles of the film also reveal the identity of the mole. When the title appears, the word Tinker and Soldier move parallel in one direction, while Taylor and Spy move parallel in the opposite direction. Control, codenamed Hayden, as Taylor. Mm-hmm. So Taylor and Spy move together as one. And then finally, the traitor, Bill Hayden, a.k.a. Taylor, is cleverly given away before the big reveal as Agent Mendel watches enlists the potential traders exiting the circus. He's spying on them from inside a darkened tailor shop oh, across the street. I see. I didn't pick up on that. Craddock says I'll be off in a few days. Keep thinking how much I'm going to miss the cricket in Moscow. I was rather hoping you might do a little light housekeeping for me. If I can. There's a girl. Give her some money, would you? Give her a good cover story. If it helps, tell her I love her. It's all there. And there's a boy, too. Slip him a few quid to shut him up. I know the Inquisitor's little bag of tricks. I taught most of them. It's just a reaction. An overreaction, if you like. I did have one or two questions. About Trito. Oh, damn it, I got him back, didn't I? Yes, yes, you did. And that was good of you. I'm surprised Carla didn't have him shot. Or do you think he held back? Out of delicacy towards you. Did Prido come and see you before he left on that Hungarian mission? Yes, matter of fact, he did. To say more. To warn you. Because he knew deep down, it was you all along. So did you. I had to pick a side, George. It was an aesthetic choice as much as a moral one. And the West has become so very ugly. Interesting. Carla, ever consider having you take over the circus? I'm not a bloody office boy. What are you then, Bill? I'm someone who's made his mark. Is there anything particular you want me to pass on to Anne? That was nothing personal, George. I hope you understand that. Carla said you were good. When we had to worry about. But you do have a blind spot. You reckon if I was known to be Anne's lover, 
Would be able to see me straight. He was right. Up to a point. Up to a point. Hayden later confirms that he seduced Smiley's wife Anne on Carla's orders to cloud Smiley's judgment. After Smiley's departure, Prido shoots and kills Hayden from a distance. Mm hmm. Anne returns home, and Smiley returns to the circus as its chief. Prado, by the way, with a single tear rolling down his cheek when he fires the shot. You are kind of wondering what's going to happen at this point. Actually. Because are they sending him to Russia, or are they sending him to jail? It's kind of unclear. I thought they were sending him to Russia, but... Yeah, but I was confused as to why. I know, that is true. Why send him somewhere where he might be treated like a hero when you yeah. can just kind of put him in jail or something. I don't know. Maybe it was part of a trade. Yeah, that's true. Still tr- trying to get Arena back. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Tar it is just demanding. Still demanding Arena is free. No one has the heart to tell him. But was it all part of the plan? Preto was always going to come kill him or is he acting I think along? he's acting on his own but okay. also in a way that nobody's going to... Yeah investigate it too much Mm -hmm. they'll probably just end up looking the other way people aren't that broken up about it evidently not no i Uh, think the one thing and we've touched on this already but the one thing that this film ultimately ends up lacking is the sufficient backstory so that you would have more of an investment mm -hmm. in these people when these things happen yeah yeah they have to do their best to give you all of the little hints like the tear streaming down prido's face coupled with those pictures and what that one woman says and all these different things. It's like you can piece that all together, but it's different than having page after page after paragraph after paragraph. deep history of these guys. Yeah, so then by the time it's revealed to be one of these four people, you know about the four people. Because in a way, in the movie, they are just four guys. Mm -hmm. And then you have to kind of capitalize on Colin Firth being the most recognizable and then also just the coincidence of him winning best actor the year before so he's clearly a much bigger seeming star than you would think for a part like this even though it sounds like i'm saying that as a negative i'm actually saying it as maybe not a positive but almost as like a necessity as something like you kind of have to just do that yeah to put the most recognizable person there so that there'll be some investment in that person rather than spending all the time that you would in a novel Poor uh, Anne, by the way, just a pawn. Here she is thinking that Hayden is really lighting her fire, but it, you know, just uh, it's all a game. It's all yeah, it's so embarrassing to, to be that person to come back home. Yep. Although, is it more embarrassing to be her or to be George? Well, George, I feel like he's grown into the embarrassment. Like that's just part of his character now. <laughs> it's inherent. Yeah. <laughs> to being one of these guys is there's a certain amount of humiliation involved. <laughs> It's tough. It's tough to be this person coming back. But you don't really know for sure what all Anne even knows. No, I know. She's probably oblivious to a lot of it. Oh, I'm sure. But still, it doesn't really make it better for anybody. Yeah, I, I, it, it may even make it worse yeah, for George in I, a way. I don't think that she's ever finding out that <laughs> her whole relationship with Bill was a, a way to and I doubt mess with her husband. That George is ever even going to mention her relationship with. I don't Bill think Hayden. so. Yeah, it's never going to come up. <laughs> he just stands by the window and looks out at seething, swimming in his lake. Yeah, with his shirtless <laughs> men. As mentioned, there was another adaptation starring Alec Guinness in the '70s. There's been all other kinds of adaptations of Lacari's work. 
While doing press for working titles, Les Miserables film adaptation producer Eric Fellner stated that fellow producer Tim Bevan was working with writer Strahan and director Alfredson on developing a sequel to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Fellner did not specify whether or not the sequel would be based on The Honorable Schoolboy or Smiley's People, the two remaining Smiley novels in Lacare's Carla trilogy. While doing press for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes in 2014, oh. Oldman stated that talk of a sequel, an adaptation of Smiley's People, had since disappeared, while also stressing that he would still like to see the film produced. In July 2016, Oldman said that a sequel was in its early stages, stating that there is a script, but I don't know when we will shoot. It was reported at the time that a script based on Smiley's People had been greenlit by working title films. In December 2021, Alfredson said that a film sequel to the 2011 film was unlikely, the rights having reverted to Lacare's estate, who were planning to reboot Smiley on television. Hmm. Alfredson expressed an interest in directing Oldman in a future TV miniseries adaptation of Smiley's People, but he thought that the moment had likely passed. I think that's probably fair. It's one of those things where the movie did well, but not well enough to get people really excited at the prospect of doing a sequel. Because unless there's very specific, tangible market research that would indicate a sequel will outperform the original which I don't think there's anything like that mm-hmm. for this, then chances are it will do less money. So you know that going in, and yet in order to convince everyone to do sequels, you often have to raise salaries. Oh, uh, yeah. So then your profit Becomes margin a money gets pit. smaller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nothing that's lighting the world on fire. So they didn't ever get around to it. John Lacare has since passed away, so there's not going to be any new novels or any new material, but it does seem like people almost routinely and without question skipped that middle book because both times they just jump right to that third one which is also kind of reminiscent of the girl with the dragon tattoo in that the sequel books are kind of not as interesting and not as filmable there always seems to be less of a desire to get to those other books in fact in america we did the rooney mara one and then they skipped the other two books and then they just made a movie on the fourth book which was not even written by the original guy i know and really was not good no and it was it was pretty pointless overall anyway i think that'll do it for tinker taylor soldier spy so thanks to brian for the listener request if you have your own request please reach out on twitter slash x at greatest pod or via email greatest pod at gmail.com $50 for a movie up to two and a half hours $75 for a movie up to three hours anything longer it'll probably be 75 as well as long as it's not too crazy but we'll we'll negotiate that with you depending on the situation we have a few more slots left in 2023 but don't let that stop you go ahead and get it in we'll lock in those prices for the rest of the year. So as long as you've reached out before January 1st, 2024, you'll get those prices. Let's get into segments to close out the show. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Matt, do you have any recommendations for our listeners this week? I do, actually. I watched a movie for the first time. Well, there's been a couple attempts, but this was the first time I watched it all the way through. 
and I loved it. And I had definitely been sleeping on it. On Netflix streaming right now, Call Me By Your Name. I had missed this the year it came out, but I really, I know there's some weirdness over some of the people in the cast, but uh, <laughs> I really thought it was a great movie. And there was like a, a scene towards the end that really struck me. All right. Yeah. I, if you ever watch Call Me By Your Name, you should do it. All I have for recommendations is a show that I enjoy that is airing its, I believe, fourth season, maybe fifth. I can't remember right now on either FX or FXX. I watched it on Hulu, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, which was originally a film with a different cast and has now been a show for a few years. Look, it's not the greatest, funniest thing of all time, but it's it's fairly consistently funny. Yeah. Matt Berry is very funny on it. I haven't watched it on any consistent basis, but from what I've caught, it's definitely made me laugh. Yes, and it's very enjoyable. The movie was funny, too, although it is kind of blatantly a ripoff of the Christopher Guest style, but that's a conversation for another time. Sure. I didn't really get into it until it was airing its previous season. Like I said, either the third or fourth. I can't remember which one it's on now, but whatever. When it was airing its previous season, I guess over a year ago, I started to get into it finally, and now the new season's on. And it's pretty enjoyable. If you can't really commit to watching something week to week on cable, it is available on Hulu. Let's move into email. We have a new email to read, and I think that, coincidentally, it fits in with this episode. Oh, good. Because it's a listener from the UK. Oh, our favorite. (laughs) All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. This email comes from Anthony. Anthony writes, Hi, Zach and Matt. I'm a longtime listener from the UK. I discovered your amazing work a couple of years ago. I'd watched American Werewolf in London with my son and wanted to listen to a podcast about it. I randomly searched and Greatest Moments came up. I loved that first episode I listened to. Oh, good. Your tone, humor, with a U. <laughs> Love it. And general worldview chime perfectly with me. There's an extra with in there, Anthony. Okay. People don't realize that when they email the show that I'm also going to be... <laughs> Critical of their... Reviewing their grammar yeah. and spelling. <laughs> well, sometimes I'm reading certain parts of the email for the first time because I want to yeah, enjoy yeah. it with Matt as one, and so... I can get tripped up a little bit. Okay, it's all right. After that first listen, I've been an avid follower. You've provided so many laughs and amazing insights. I'm super grateful. I've tried other film podcasts, but nothing comes close to your amazing show. Oh, wow. How about that? I know. Maybe a little over the top. Yeah, dial it back a little bit. We're not comfortable with that level of compliment. (laughs) Please keep it up, and I look forward to listening to more quality stuff from you two. Okay, I'm just about to dive into the latest episode. I saw Barbie last weekend, and I'm seeing Oppenheimer on Tuesday. I'm interested to see what you make of the whole thing. Hmm. With best wishes, Anthony. Well, you'll have to let us know after you listen to that one, because uh, i got to tell you, rating's not off the charts for it. What do you mean? People didn't really like the Barbie Oppenheimer episode. They didn't? Well, you. Oh, well. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. I'm more a fan of... When I have prepared notes. I think yeah. when we're left to our own devices, it gets a little off the rails, disorganized yeah. and rambly. It's all right. <laughs> but that's what you get whenever we're going to the theater and we're reviewing what's out there in the world and not wanting to give too many spoilers. Yeah. So you don't really 
know exactly what to say. Well, look, it's always nice for us to uh, recognize that we are a global sensation. Yeah, that's been one of the most exciting and surprising things that's come out of the seven and a half years of doing this show is finding out that we have listeners in other countries. Every time I have to send a sticker internationally, it's definitely like a scene, a lot of like Googling how to... (laughs) How to address these envelopes. How much postage to put on yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Well, thanks for the very kind words, Anthony. It's always great to hear from everyone. If you would like to email the show, greatestpod at gmail.com. Greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read your email on the show. Please tell your friends and family about the program. Other than you randomly searching on Apple Podcasts, random movie titles. That's always the way. That's really it. We're just a word of mouth, find us by accident type podcast. And we're comfortable with that. That's what we prefer. Yeah, send us your pictures of where you're putting our stickers up out there in the world. I think somebody did that before. Okay, so Matt's giving you guys a new project to get into. I'm interested. I like hearing what movie you guys found us on, what episode was your first. And it's always nice to hear when they add that they listen to more episodes after that. Well, you would assume, yeah. especially since we didn't have our email people, address back yeah, then. The people that do search a specific one and listen to it that are done, we don't hear from them. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of those yeah, yeah. over the years. <laughs> they sampled it and were like, like eh. yeah, not for me. In all fairness, that's probably what I would do. <laughs> She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie. That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. One last segment today, the return of Physical Media Spotlight. Oh. Gotten a lot of new mm-hmm. things in over the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to keep it pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty mainstream. For a nice end of summer pick-me-up, this is really more of a spring, beginning of summer type movie, but I think all year round, it's a nice little mood booster, brand new to 4K. Oh. I'm holding it up now for Matt. In oh, steelbook yeah, form, wow. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Just comfort viewing. Yeah, it's an episode we did a couple years ago on the show. You guys all know the movie. I'm I'm not recommending it as if you haven't seen the movie. And the 4K is irrelevant, frankly. It's just, hey, if you need to pick me up, don't forget that there's things like Ferris Bueller out there. <laughs> it's a perfect movie to just get and... I could put it on at any time, and there's plenty of movies like that, and everyone has different ones, but yeah, nothing too special, just straight comfort viewing. Yeah. Ferris Bueller, new to 4K. Do you have anything for Physical Media Mm. Spotlight? I don't know. I got Matt an imported copy of The Last Picture Show on Blu-ray. I was excited about that. That's a movie that I've wanted to own Just refusing to buy that Criterion box set and refusing to buy that 4K Columbia Classics box set. (laughs) Try to do less box sets just because of the space situation. They you have a, a whole house. I have yeah. a room. I know. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I don't know if I need to recommend this, but I was very excited that my imprint Molina limited edition slipcover Blu-ray showed up this weekend. I don't know that all of our listeners could handle Molina. No, I'm sure they couldn't, but <laughs> I, I was excited about it. And, you know, last night I had another Monica Bellucci dream. So, yeah, it's it's big times. All right. I think that'll do it for Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Thanks so much to our longtime friend Brian for the listener request, which, you know, on the one hand, we have our friends that we know in real life doing listener requests. Maybe that speaks to not having a ton of listeners, but yeah, that's okay. we have 
friends and people we know in real life willing to pay us money to do listener requests. Yeah, that one's weird. So I think that means we're pretty mage. Definitely. That means the show is so good that even our friends will give us money. <laughs> I'm thinking of it as a net positive. I think so. what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you have a listener request, you know where to reach us. Greatest pod on Twitter slash X. Mm-hmm. Greatestpod at gmail.com. You can also get a free sticker from us. You can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. We got two more listener requests coming up next in a row. Kevin, Carla, Luke, you're coming up later in the month. Thomas and Keith, you're in September. And L. Allen, you are after Greatest October. So looking at a November listener request for you. If you would like to be added to that list, you know how to do it. Please reach out. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
do not undercut me in front of the child. I am 30 or 40 years old and I do not need this. Well, which one? Is it 30 or 40? I don't know. Do you understand me?